Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. Well, it's an interesting evening tonight. Our first guest hasn't arrived, so you're going to have to hear me, my commentary for the next couple of minutes. While hopefully she will join us, it's always difficult to to fill airtime when you're not prepared. But these things happen. I, I'm going to play what I consider one of the better interviews and, ho- and hope she will join us in the meantime. Boy, talk about dead air. Are you on? I am here, yes. How are you? I'm Welcome fine. To and the I show. Thank you. I apologize. I thought I was second in the lineup from what I saw on your site, so I apologize for showing up late. No, probably my fault. Uh, no worries. My, my in- engineer and producer has been under the weather for the last week, and, and that happens. I won't blame him. I'll blame myself because I have <laughs> to do it. Well, you uh, can blame me too, so whatever works best. Well, the best thing to do is start off with our usual first question, which is tell us a little bit about yourself personally, Kristen. I I know your book is terrific, and we'll get to that. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, I'd love to. Um, First off, thanks thanks for having me on the show. I'm glad to be here. So um, a little bit about me. I... um, I'm from the Midwest, and I went to college at Butler University, go Bulldogs. After that, I started my career in public accounting out in San Jose, California. I worked for one of the big four at the time, accounting firms, um, PricewaterhouseCoopers. 
I worked in their audit department um, during the the kind of first dot-com boom, the very tail end of that, so that was a lot of fun. I did that for several years, and then I spent a little bit of time working in industry as an accountant for a software company. Following that, I went back into public accounting, which is not a path that too many people follow. Usually once you leave, you're done, uh, and it wasn't, wasn't really my plan to go back, except that I met... Um, I met someone who I knew I would really enjoy working for. So back into public accounting, I did a little bit of auditing and a lot of consulting work, a variety of really interesting projects for clients that um, needed help in all, all sorts of areas that weren't tax or audit. So I did that for seven years, and um, at the end of that, I decided that my skill set, although I was I was fine enough at the technical side of public accounting, what I really enjoyed the most was working with people, building great teams, providing off-the-charts client service, um, and just a lot of those communication skills that, that weren't necessarily most accountants' primary skill set. So I thought the best fit for me would be to, instead of kind of following that partnership path at an accounting firm where you've, you've got a very technical side you have to maintain and be, be very good at, um, that I would be better suited to be bringing my technical skill set, which is communication and presentations, to CPA firms. So for the last four years, that's what I've been doing. I work as a consultant to CPA firms and individuals, helping them achieve better business results through um, good communication skills, and being able to present their really great technical knowledge to their clients um, and to each other to work better together. And personally, I, um, I'm married. I have a husband, and I have identical twin boys that are six years old and just started first grade. And I, uh, I do now live back in, um, back in Michigan, so that's my, my whirlwind story. Wow. Wow. So, in short, you teach accountants how to communicate with their clients. Yes. Oh, a, a noble profession because sometimes they sw speak Swahili to me. Exactly, exactly. Well, but, but you also uh, wrote a book, but uh, we're going to have a, a far-ranging conversation. Tell us why you decided to write a book. I found an interesting, uh, heard an interesting statistic today that there are now 1.7 million books in print or available with an ISBN number. That's mm -hmm. uh, four times what it was just 10 years ago. Yes, well, the, the barriers to entry are certainly lower than they used to be with the advent of self-publishing and just, you know, the Internet, being able to find everything you need, um, all the different people you need to, to put a book together. But, the you know, the driver behind me creating my book, so Accounting Dreams and Delusions is the title, and it's, uh, it's actually a humor, a picture-based humor book for accountants. And I was inspired to make that because I felt – First of all, I felt the accounting book market was ripe for disruption. Um, and you actually had a gentleman on your show earlier. I was listening to his segment about disruption. So, so there we go. I felt accounting books needed, needed some new life um, brought into them. And I, I enjoy the combination of, of humor and learning. And this book is mostly humor, and you, know, you can pull some learning out of it. But really it was to, um, to share a laugh with my fellow CPAs. So that was the, the ultimate driver. I was inspired by some other humor books that I read, and I thought, gosh, it would be great to bring something like this 
to the accounting world because I didn't know of anything else and still don't um, in a similar vein. So that was my inspiration. I might interject here that your book uh, should be required reading for anybody in the service industry. <laughs> yes, it does apply to anybody who has clients will understand the majority of the, the funny scenes that are pictured in there. Well, that's why you're on the program. <laughs> uh, it would be too narrow. Your your book would be too na- um, would be too uh, narrow if it weren't for the fact that I I found it uh, uh, chock full of little nuggets that I I would I personally uh, should have learned a long time ago. Mhm. But, but okay, so l- let's start there. What are two or three things that you say in the book? Uh, that would have uh, resonance with a general audience. Right. So a couple of my favorite pages that, that it sort of doesn't matter where you play in the, in the business landscape will make some sense is, um, is one of them in the first section pictures this woman who is representative of, of a client who needs to provide some information or data to her service provider, and in, in our specific case, a CPA, but it could be anyone, um, and she just looks very organized and very pleasant and the kind of person you would love to have as a client. And, and the caption that goes with her smiling face is, do you mind if I give you everything a week early? And um, so that just makes me chuckle because no one has has ever said that to a service provider, right? You'll be lucky to get everything on the day that you requested it um, and far more likely to get Half of the things you need when you wanted them, and of that, half of them are wrong or incomplete or inadequate for for your needs. So, um, the kind of the the takeaway there is, how can we how can we change that? You know what I mean? How can we help the relationship between any to any service provider and client by maybe considering how it impacts the service provider's work to have things show up late, um, and you know the different changes that we can make there. So that's one page. Um, let's see. Another You're on a one roll. that. Continue. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on a roll. Let me go on to to my other. Uh, this is maybe my favorite page of all of them. But in the in the second section, uh, which is sort of CPAs, things a CPA would never say to their clients or service providers. So this um, another. Actually, this one is also a picture of a woman. She says. Um, I chose a career in accounting because I love working with people. Um, and again, generally speaking, most accountants don't choose this as a field of study because they love working with people. They they choose it because they're good at math. They choose it because they like solving problems or because they maybe inherently know that they'd prefer to work with numbers and computers than having to you know, interact with people on a day-to-day basis. But the reality is that even these technical professions, any of them, you know, doctors, architects, lawyers, you are working with people all the time. And so the, what I'm trying to bring home there is, guess what? <laughs> you need to work with people on a, on a regular basis. And so those skills are important. And, you know, many professionals certainly have a, a great skill set to start from, but you can, you can improve even more from your beginning, beginning point when you chose your fields um, if you focus a little bit on what can I do to be a better communicator, a better interpersonal reaction kind of person. In short, you don't want, you don't want to be somebody that they, that they never trot out to meet the client. Right, 
Right, and because there's not room for too many of those people. You know, every once in a while you can find some technical genius who who really struggles in the client communication department and and once in a while there'll be enough space to say but you know this person's technically awesome so that we are going to put them in a back office they're going to do a lot of great things and we're going to have people kind of be the liaison between that person and the client but the way most accounting and other professional service organizations are structured is that um you know the service providers need to be able to talk to their clients there's just not enough space to have people who who can't communicate with their clients. <clears throat> well, uh, l- let's move on to a subject uh, w- which is, is also part of what you do is w- women can step out of the box uh, f- further advance their leadership roles, skills. What do you mm-hmm. mean by that? Well, so women... Um, are, there's, there are a lot of statistics out there about women in leadership um, generally and also in the accounting area and, you know, the question of why are these numbers so low, why, why aren't there more female leaders in this organization or that. Um, and what I see as the opportunity is for, for women who want to commit to a particular path in a professional services organization, um, that they can, you know, with the right sort of, again, communication on their end and finding the right fit for the organization they're working with, they can indeed advance to leadership spots and existing leadership should recognize the value that they bring by having a diverse audience, or I'm sorry, not audience, but a diverse group in leadership. Generally, you're going to outperform your peers who maybe have a really homogeneous leadership. So, so women have opportunities. Um, we need to take advantage of them to the extent that people want to do that. And I think there are those people out there who want to, but maybe don't feel quite empowered enough to take those steps. Well, uh, that's very true. But also, uh, there is still a very much of a, a male uh, dominance and a, a bonding, the boys getting together and leaving the girls out. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, how do you break that? Right. So when when you get to a place and it and it has that sort of old boys club feeling, there there are a few things I'd I'd recommend. The first one is making sure making sure that it's a penetrable situation. If 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 they are treating people with disrespect, um, you know, and people are being treated unfairly, I wouldn't recommend somebody try try to beat that because it's going to be really hard. The numbers are against you if, if you are few and they are many. Um, but assuming you've got a situation where, yeah, there's a bit of an old boys club, but, but you want to make your way in and you think that there's a, a chance you can get in there. Um, the first one I would say is to get a sponsor. So find somebody in that leadership group that you can connect with. It doesn't mean you have to connect with all of them, um, but find somebody you connect with who's willing to put their, just kind of put their name out there for you and say, hey, I think this person is great and would be perfect for this project and they can bring opportunities in. Um, the second one is to self-promote. So not to be afraid to say, hey, guess what? I'm really great at this. It's, studies have also shown that, that men are way better at um, you know, talking about the great things that they've done. So uh, what females can do in that regard is not being afraid to step out and say, hey, look at all these great things that I've done and share, that, share the word of your accomplishments with the team um, that you're working with. And one last one is grab a beer with the guys, go out to the ball game, ask them if they want to go out and grab a drink. Just 
you know, kind of relax and have some fun and find a way to connect with them that, you know, is a little bit on their terms, but in a way that's that's enjoyable for everybody because that sort of relaxed conversation is what's going to get you, get your foot further in the door um, than keeping it really serious all the time. I'm a proponent of fun, as you can tell. Well, women have a particular problem in where does friendliness uh, end and something else uh, interferes? Um, Yeah, well, women do have to balance this, you know, there's this primitive brain inside everybody that where you you look at a a female and you think, okay, again, you know, historical stuff, you're going to be, you're supposed to be the nurturing one, you're supposed to be the kind one, Um, but yet a female who is pursuing a challenging leadership opportunity also needs to be assertive and they need to be confident. And sometimes those two can be a little bit in conflict. And so it is, I think women, one of the big challenges they face is is really walking that fine line between being assertive and confident enough in their, you know, putting themselves forward for opportunities and bringing about their successes, but also not looking like somebody that nobody wants to play with because it's a, you know, difficult, challenging person to approach. So that that is a challenge that, that women have to tackle is finding, finding that right balance at that organization between those two um, personas of the professional female. Well, you know, I always... Uh, we have a lot of very successful women on this program, and they vary greatly in the style, in their styles, and their uh, appearance, and how they do things. But but they they all seem to all have a common thread that uh, it's very difficult for them to find that balance. How did you find your balance? You know, I was really fortunate in my career in really every place that I work, but I think most noticeably in my public accounting experiences where I felt that I really had the support of some sponsors and mentors and they were, they were males, they were guys. Um, But because I had that sort of close sponsor relationship where I was working with these people who we mutually trusted and believed in each other, you know, they, they saw in me a good, up-and-coming skill set for the level, you know, a a great skill set for the level that I was at. They saw potential, so they were willing to put me on their projects because I would do a great job for them and work really hard for them, and in turn they would, you know, again, get me some interesting opportunities. So so in that way, it, it actually felt not too challenging for me because because I felt like I had the support at the organization already. And that's why I think that one of those key things women can do is find that sponsor so that you're not going it alone. You know, if I was out there trying to make a name for myself and nobody believed in me, boy, that would be so much harder than, you know, the opportunities that I did have where I've already got somebody who's in there saying, hey, you know, Kristen's awesome. She's doing a great job. I remember when uh, I joined public accounting the second time and I went to a a meeting that the department was having. I I was meeting everyone for the first time except for this one partner that I had worked with on a project at my previous company. And a a woman came over to me who was a manager and said, oh, Mike Mike told me you're really great, so I put you on this um, venture capital audit. And I'm thinking – I've never audited venture capital before. I have no idea I have no idea what I'm doing. How could I possibly be great at this? But he had set me up for success and that just it it all kind of trailed on from there. So sponsorship is is a key um key component of success. 
Well, now, now you're, you're running your own company now, correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. What do you find are the differences uh, in how you do things and how you approach people? Yeah, um, certainly the uh, one of the biggest differences is that I'm in charge for all of the successes and all of the failures. Um, and because of that, I have to be a lot more... Um, Maybe not careful is the word, but um, just a lot more conscientious about what is it that I'm doing, where am I spending my time, uh, who do I need to talk to, how is it that I need to talk to them, and and also you know getting my own mentorship um, in this area, which is which is harder because it's not like I have a group of senior leaders above me. I am the senior leader, um, so finding finding groups to connect with. And in fact, today I was at um, in my local chamber of commerce. We have these. CEO roundtables that I'm a part of, so so they in some ways are kind of my peer advisory board with, that I go to if I have questions or need something, and they offer some element of that support. So that's that's the biggest difference um, between being the employee and being the owner. Well, um, what are the three things you found most enjoyable about being out on your own? Uh, the three most enjoyable things about being out on my own. Um, I have to say I really love the full control over my schedule um, and no guilt. I certainly always felt like I needed to live up to somebody's version of what hours I should be working or where or only a certain amount of PTO. So so I love um, I love that component. <clears throat> I also uh, like being able can to... I, can, I, can I interrupt yeah. you there sure. and explore that a little bit further? Because that's an interesting point. Uh, a famous psychologist told me that women tend to have higher expectations of themselves and to build their careers based on that, whereas men have more diverse ways of reinforcing, their, as he called it, their egos. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that, and is that a case with you? You know, I do think that I I certainly um, have pretty high standards for myself because I, you know, when I look at as much as my favorite thing is having control over my own schedule now that I run my own shop here, um, I probably work more <laughs> than I ever did when I was um, working as an employee. And so, yeah, I do feel like I've, I've got some standards that I'm living up to and need to um, need to get there by being sure that I'm, working hard enough and achieving the things that I think I need to be achieving and it's it seems a bit relentless at time and in fact that's one of the um one of the things that I'm working on personally is making sure that I have work life balance ironically <laughs> even though I have control i mean one way that i that i achieve that i guess is um i have i have these two kids i mentioned and so every day at at three o'clock when i'm not traveling for for client work or on a full day long project i i end my day and i go pick up my kids from school and so i have that sort of three p m till through dinner time before till i put the kids to bed that i take for myself but um but it yeah it's definitely a challenge well, i didn't mean to interrupt you the other two that's a very good answer Thank you. And remind me again, The other, well, I've lost track. The other two of what was the question you had asked originally? Uh, I asked what What are the things you found most enjoyable about? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, I think, you know, the other thing that's really enjoyable is is client service. That was always enjoyable for me, but, but having my very own clients um, and knowing that 
again, it's kind of that ownership thing, but I'm fully responsible for, for keeping them happy and having them recur and ask for more projects and refer me to other places. Um, so, so I love that. I love doing a good job, good work with my clients. And I'm also really enjoying um, media and social media more. So, you know, public accounting is, isn't notoriously social. A lot of a lot of good firms now have marketing departments, and so they're getting out there and they're having a presence. Um, and I do a lot of that stuff with my brand, and that's that's really, really fun to to define a brand and to to be out there with it and make sure that people people are getting the message that you want to get that represents what you can bring to an organization and how you can help them because it makes such a difference um, from being behind someone else's brand and you know and my I lined up well with the firms that I was at before but it's but it's great really being able to be me I feel like I can play up the um the lighthearted and fun side of things while still being really uh, you know adept at bringing the skills through to clients that I have well uh, what are the what are the things you've learned since since starting your own company that you would pass on to uh listeners yeah, so I guess in terms of going from from that employee mode to starting my own company is um quote you know they always say it's going to cost more money than you thought and that is certainly true. I had a um a budget for the amount of money I was going to take to start up and it has certainly taken more than that. Um another truism that I found that that somebody mentioned to me as I started was that you're going to have some really incredibly awesome days and some really horribly dark days, and I've found that to be true too. There, there's some days where I'm just, I mean, I'm walking in the clouds. I feel so good about the the successes I've had or the achievements or, or where things seem to be going. And then the other days where I think, you know, where I'm on online looking for jobs, thinking maybe this isn't going to work out, maybe I need to uh, find some other means of sourcing income. So that um, that is something I've learned that's been very true um, and gosh, if I had to come up with a third thing that I've learned, um, I would probably just say that I think this is the right fit for me. That's what I've learned I, because I have, in those dark days, toyed with maybe I need to go work somewhere, and the thought just drains me even further. So I really love um, I love where I'm at. I love being able to serve clients directly um, and, and, again, in the way that I want to because it adds such value for them that it's really enjoyable for me. And the name of your book again? Sure, it's uh, Accounting Dreams and Delusions. Mm-hmm. And it's Kristen Rampey. Am I That's pronouncing correct. it correct? Yep. And if you even just Google something like Kristen Rampey, I am I'm the only one with that name. So you'll find me. You'll find my website, KristenRampey.com. You can find the book on there. All that. Well, spell out your last name. Sure, it's um, R-A-M-P-E, and Kristen is K-R-I-S-T-E-N. Any final thoughts before uh, you you save the program by calling in early? (laughs) Yes, yeah, that would be my my thought is to, um, yeah, be sure that you know when you're supposed to call in. Um, No, I just, my, I guess my, my final thought would be just that people should, Take a minute to relax. Take a minute to have a laugh. That was what I was hoping to achieve with this book. It's a great gift for um, you know the CPA or former CPA or accountant in your life, and I, I hope people um, enjoy it. Did you self-publish it, or do you have a publisher? Well, I self-published it. I, I, I got a DBA, so it looks really nice like I, um, like I didn't, but it is self-published. 
Well, you and a lot of other people are doing it, and you're certainly uh, uh, putting in the effort to promote it. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. glad you came on the program tonight, and uh, I hope you come back next year and talk more about it. All right. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, and um, I will look forward to coming back next year. Hey, you saved the program. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Have a nice day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. We invite an old friend to join us now, Mike Stahl, Senior Vice President. I always get this wrong, Mike, of Health Markets, an independent healthcare marketplace. Mike, welcome to the program. Great to be here, Don. Great to have you. You know, um, uh, I was on a program earlier today, uh, someone else's program, and the subject came up of health care and what's going to happen in in the next two months. And I said, you know, I'll be better informed uh, after 8 o'clock tonight when Mike comes on board. That's what I'm here for, Don. Um, (laughs) Maybe it's... Maybe it's helpful for your audience just to give them a little background on myself and on health markets so that they understand sort of where all this sort of information is coming from. Well, uh, I just assume uh, that was always my first question, so go right ahead, Mike. Great, great. Thanks, Don. Well, you know, as mentioned, I'm a senior vice president at, at health markets. Health markets, as you noted, Don, is the premier private health insurance marketplace in the country. Uh, We have access to tens of thousands of health plans all across the country from over 180 different health insurance companies, many of which you know, uh, Humana, United Healthcare, Aetna, Cigna, Blue Cross, et cetera, et cetera. Um, We're really the only company of our our type that allows people to work with us, small business owners and individuals, online at healthmarkets.com, 24-7 over the phone, and we have 3,000 health markets agents all across the country. Um, The main thing is we really pride ourselves, we're passionate about helping small business owners and individuals save on their health insurance and provide better benefits and better coverage um, in the case of small businesses for themselves and their employees. Um, Often uh, that's a real challenge for for folks. We help employ for uh, small business owners across America what's a really little-known kind of health insurance solution that works fabulously. And then, you know, best of all, the biggest thing done is everything Health Markets does for a small business owner and an individual is completely free of charge. So, uh, you know, that's just a a big, uh, you know, everybody gets all the benefits of our services without having to pay for it. That's a pretty nice benefit, too. Well, Mike, how do you make your money? We, you know, we are uh, we are a for-profit company. We are afforded commissions from the health insurance carriers that we represent. Um, as mentioned, we represent 180 of them, so we're we're uh, completely unbiased in terms of what the right health plan is for a small business or an, an employee or an individual. So our advice and service, you know, isn't biased by by that. But but that's how we earn compensation. But the plan that a someone would um, enroll through us. Uh, if they called Humana or United or Aetna directly, that plan would be the exact same price, whether they did the work on their own or um, if they used our services. Well, I know, I know that. I just wanted our audience to know that as well. And you sure. wouldn't be back no, here. Uh, I tested you, you fellows out 
the, the first time you were on the program. So now let's get to the real heart of the matter. What's going to happen in the next two months? Well, uh, you know, certainly uh, for for your audience, Don, right, we're really talking mostly about small business, right? And um, I think the important commentary uh, for them is that the the most important, or most important, or most uh, likely way small business owners are providing benefits to their employees is using group health insurance. And unfortunately, the group health insurance market is, is broken for many small businesses. I mean, small businesses have been seeing rate increases, and this is what they're likely to see in the next two months, because most of them are having their renewals in uh, the fourth quarter, so as we come towards the end of the year. And so letters are likely going out to small business owners across America telling them that they're going to get a price increase of 5, 10, 15, 20% or more. And that's happened continuously year after year after year in such a way that this is becoming not just a benefits problem for small businesses, Don, it's becoming like a core business problem for them. And um, it's a struggle. Um, they've seen reductions in coverage as well. It's just a, it's a big challenge. Fortunately, um, in fact, the Affordable Care Act has actually provided some really creative ways for small businesses to do provide health insurance benefits in a completely different way and still satisfy the underlying reason for benefits. Why do you have them? You have them because you want to attract and retain high-quality talent. And so this is such an important part of small businesses, um, but again, the current system is largely not working. Fortunately, there's a whole different way. Well, well, what is this way, Mike? Well, so as, as mentioned, unfortunately, it's sort of like a little-known solution. And one one challenge you asked about, you know, how, how we uh, earn compensation. One unfortunate uh, situation is most small business owners, their group um, insurance broker it has um, no compensation tied to what we're about to talk about. So unfortunately, most small business owners, the broker is not bringing this whole concept up to them, all right? Um, so that, that's, a, that's a part of the problem. Here's what it is. Let me tell you if I could, Don, I think it's best illustrated through an example, an actual real live small business owner and what they went through and what they did. So we'll tell you a little bit of a story about a woman named Cheryl White, if I could. She's a florist. She owns a florist called the Fiddly Fig in Kansas City. And um, her father actually started the business. It's decades old. It's like a pillar of the community. It's one of the more important small businesses as a sort of an institution in, in that town. Uh, recently, Cheryl's father actually died and she took over the business. She had been running it with him for a while, but he passed away and she took it over full time. And soon thereafter, she got a letter, just as I sort of described, many small business owners are probably getting or will be getting soon right about now. She got a letter from her health insurance company stating that her, informing her that her rates were going to go up by 80%, eight zero, 80%. She was floored. She was floored. This was going, you know, she was worried about the long-term viability of her company because of it. Now, by chance, she happened to have met one of our health markets agents in her area. 
a woman by the name of Susan Sunberg. And we do, and this is a good example, but we do this all over the country with plenty of small businesses. And we met with her. We sort of studied her business. And what we prescribed is a way for her to migrate away from using group health insurance as the platform by which she provided benefits to utilizing individual health insurance as a way to provide benefits. Now, that may seem like semantics, and in some ways it is, but in some ways it's really substantive. And we could talk about sort of the results of Cheryl's experience. In, in terms of the semantic aspects of it, it's still all health insurance. It's provided, uh, you know, whether it's called group or it's called individual, whether it's provided by all of the big name brand companies, the access to health care is the same, right? So it's from Humana, it's from United, it's from Blue Cross. The access to health care is the same. But the biggest substantive difference is that the federal government affords an enormous amount of subsidies to a health insurance plan that's individually structured, enormous amount, and they don't for group health insurance. The numbers are, are staggering. On the individual health insurance uh, market, the average subsidy that the government provides to lower the cost of premiums is 72%. 72%. That's before an employer or an employee puts in a dime. 72% of the cost is lowered. And so we helped her craft a, a structure that utilizes individual health insurance. What resulted was Cheryl, the Fiddly Fig, the company, saves now $25,000 annually on their benefits program. The employees are saving on average $1,000 each per year per employee, $1,000 each. And a and some of the employees, in fact, are now actually paying zero, zero net for their health insurance coverage, zero. Not only that, prior, the, uh, about half the employees couldn't even afford the group health insurance. It was costly to them, too, not just to Cheryl. The business owner was costly to the employees. Nearly half of them went uninsured because they couldn't afford it, which is, has major risks, right? They had... They had to um, pay the tax penalty to the federal government, which was this year is 2% of someone's income. It's going up to 2.5% and higher in future years. And they lived in fear every day. If, God forbid, something happened to them, health-wise, financially, uh, their life would go down the toilet too. Now everybody at Cheryl's company at the Fiddly Fig is covered. Everybody has coverage. And lastly, each of them got to pick a plan that was personalized for them, that met their individual health and budgetary and circumstantial needs. And so it was a it was a win all the way around. It was just really a beautiful story. Now the fiddly fig where first when she Cheryl got that letter, her father had just passed away, she was worried about the you know, the long term viability of, of her business that had been around for decades. Um, now the fiddly fig is stable, it's strong, it's thriving. And and everybody has won. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, let me see if I understand what you just said. You did it beautifully. In essence, what, what you did is create a platform where her workers can go and choose the insurance that they wanted, and they paid for it individually, and she somehow gave them some money to, to uh, underwrite the insurance 
but basically they pay for it themselves as an individual policy. Am I right in what you said? I think, Don, you do understand it. You very much do. So, so what Cheryl has done, and again, plenty of small business owners across the country of all types uh, are doing the same thing. They are, you're right, the employees in the end are making their own selection and their own purchase. Cheryl has still inserted herself into the process. She helps coordinate the enrollment. Health Markets actually helps do this for each of her employees. On behalf of Cheryl, we meet with each of the employees and help um, find, help them find the right plan and enroll and so forth. So Cheryl has provided the service to facilitate this process. Cheryl has saved, uh, excuse me, shared some of the savings that was afforded to her, the business. She has shared that back with the employees in the form of increased pay, um, which helps fund uh, some of this for the employees, of course. Um, and in, in uh, many employers are doing uh, are providing additional benefits too. They're starting 401k plans. They're providing life insurance benefits. They're providing discounts to gym memberships and other things that the small business could never afford before. Now they can. They can. So they are expanding their benefits, which is great. So so Cheryl has yes created a benefits program that allows individual selection. She's still part of the process, so she still gets the the goodwill. I'll say, on behalf of her employees, um, but she's saving a lot of money. It's a wonderful, wonderful structure. Did I lose you, Don? Don Mike Stahl here. Are you on, Mike? Mike, are you on? Mike, are you on? Are you I'm, on now, Mike? I'm here, Don. You hear okay. me? Okay. Continue. We'll edit the show. Okay. I'm sorry. Great. We we had a problem with the board. <laughs> Don't worry. It happens. Um, I think maybe where we cut off, you were articulating sort of your understanding of, of what we're talking about, and and you you really described it very succinctly. And you're right, Cheryl. In this example that Wait, I brought up, Mike, can I well, ask you a question? Uh, yeah, um, go ahead. Uh, in anticipation of this show, I've got several emails, and they all said the sa- all said the same thing. I'm getting uh, banged uh, uh, with these increases, but yep. uh, uh, and sometimes there are two or three or four employee companies. Yeah. What the does it does this type of program that you're saying? work for uh, a smaller company like this? That's a great question, Don. In fact, this kind of program is more perfect for a smaller company that's, you know, 10 and under, 5 and under, more so than a, uh, well, it can work for a business that's, you know, 20 employees, 30 or 40. Once you get a nexus of 50 employees, the, the math of how subsidies work actually starts to 
get less interesting. Not always the case, but less interesting. But the smaller the employer, actually, it's more appealing than not. Um, this is a way for those employers, if they were emailing you about this, they can sort of get off the treadmill of ever-increasing rate, rate increases, premium increases from their group health insurance. This is a perfect solution for those kind of businesses. It sounds that way, but what? It, but it also sounds as if, the, the, in effect, the government is subsidizing. Well, that's the basically that's the basis of the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. But in the end, aren't we all paying for the for for the this uh, health care, and we're just transferring monies from us to the government, then back to us? <laughs> well, certainly the health insurance economy in the aggregate, Don, is, a, is an enormous complex uh, industry, as you well know. Um, and in many ways, under all different types of structures, we're all paying for it in a certain way, right? You know, when, when even uninsured people uh, are out there, we're sort of paying it, right, in terms of people going to the ER and not being able to afford it, and those costs being passed along to all of the others who can't afford it. And this is a different way that we all um, absolutely are sharing in the cost. That's certainly true. And almost like anything, it's important to understand what your place in that world is, um, in this case as a small business owner, and what the right decisions for you would be. And sort of as mentioned, unfortunately, most people, their, their current broker, um, is not compensated in a way that uh, um, that has them talking to their clients about something like this. So it's it's sort of gone under the radar, and there's so many small business owners that aren't doing the math to consider a different option. And and that's where a company like Health Markets comes in. This is something that that we do. Well, no no doubt, and I think you serve uh, a tremendous per- uh, uh, service to. Uh, too small business. That's why I, I have. I always ask you to come on this program, but but it just seems that we're just uh, uh, unnecessarily complicating this whole healthcare process. Uh, and I, I know that's a controversial question, uh, but it, and it's certainly going to be a part of the presidential race uh, in sixteen. But yeah. uh, where do you see the future going? Well, you know, I, I, I will say, you know, for sure, you know, there's certainly politically been already, you know, uh, a presidential election, a couple of congressional elections, that health care reform has been a big part of those discussions. Um, wherever your political leanings are, um, what's what's happened for the last, you know, it's now been six, seven years or, or so, is it pretty... Uh, well entrenched that the Affordable Care Act, as generally structured, is going to be with us. You know, there's been two different Supreme Court cases, the latest uh, about six, eight weeks ago, um, that have upheld the key tenets of the law. There's certainly been a number of changes in the political landscape in terms of who is in, uh, you know, power in what way, and largely it's it's stuck. So will there be some slight adjustments? There probably always will be. Will, you know, in some longer-term period, there be a more massive one? You never know, right? Um, but for the foreseeable future, the Affordable Care Act is generally structured. It's here to stay. And so whether you're an individual or you're a small business owner or you work at a large business, understanding really the, the aspects of that law and, and, and what, what's the right decision for you 
is really what you need to be concentrating on because, again, it really looks like, um, you know, it, I wouldn't be in denial if, if you're on that, if you're of that political persuasion. Even if you believe it, it's going to be here. So I'd try to make the right economic decisions for you. Well, I agree with you. I think uh, uh, Obamacare is here to stay in some form. There's no answers sure. or buts about it. Um, let me ask you a different question. You say you have 3,000 agents. How, how does a, a person comes to your site, how do they end, know to find an agent near them or that they can talk to? Yeah, I mean, if you go to healthmarkets.com, um, you know, we have some small business information, so you can certainly learn more about what we discussed, Don. Um, we have an agent finder right there on the site, so you can click our agent finder. It's at the very top. It's also in various other spots. Um, click on find an agent, put in your zip code, and we have plenty of people, no matter pretty much where you are in the country, who can who you can talk to. And sort of what the process is, which is important to know, because this is a big deal for people. They um, Small business owners are, you know, Cheryl's an expert florist, as an example. People are experts, you know, running a, a you know, auto body shop or a landscaping business or a CPA firm or whatever it is. They're not experts necessarily in insurance. And so um, what's great is you don't have to be, right? You wouldn't try your own legal case. You would get a lawyer. Well, in this case, you don't need to do this on your own either. You can get a health insurance expert. So you can find them on healthmarkets.com using our agent finder. An agent will chat with you on the phone. We always come out, sit down, try to understand the real details of your business, understand your employee uh, group, their their household makeup, their income, all sorts of other things about them that would be relevant. Um, and then we can do uh, do the math and talk to you otherwise about whether a different solution would be right for your business. If it is, we'll help you through that process. We'll communicate with your employees to help them understand um, this migration and why it's going to be beneficial to them. As I mentioned earlier, we sit down personally with each employee. So your employees aren't just getting an email saying, here's the new scoop, right? We're going to sit down with them, help them select the right plan, and, and get situated. And by the way, in some cases, for some businesses under certain circumstances, um, it's not a majority, but it uh, is the case sometimes, uh, doing something like this doesn't isn't the right thing economically or otherwise, and we're happy to advise someone of that too. So we're very unbiased about trying to help that small business owner do what's best for them, their business, and their employees, and we can help them end-to-end throughout the whole process. Let me ask you one one more question that, that just came across my email. Uh, are young people... Uh, are young people signing up for it, or are they, um, uh, are they, or are they uh, staying with their parents, or are they just uh, willing to pay the penalty uh, rather than get health insurance? Do you have any uh, uh, data on that? Yeah, well, I, you know, speaking to the numbers off the top of my head, I don't remember the exact numbers, of course, Don. But I, first of all, the, the real answer is. To some degree, all of the above, okay? There are plenty of people under 26, if you're 26 or under, who are staying on their parents' plan that often is the right decision for a, a younger adult, right? Um, mm-hmm. And there are plenty of people who are willing to pay, go uninsured and pay the tax penalty. Um, there are more people who are not. So, you know, if I had to, I don't remember the exact statistics, but young people included, um, there are a... 
uh, a decent amount, a sufficient amount of young people coming in and buying insurance. And that will continue as the years progress because, as I mentioned when I talked about Cheryl's story, and this is the case really for anybody, um, if you go uninsured, you're subject to the tax penalty. It's 2% of your income this year. It goes to 2.5% next year, and it keeps going up after that. That's not a small amount of money to pay for not having something. That's what you're paying to not have something. It, it's more logical to to instead um, go work with a company like Health Markets, find insurance, and you might have to pay some money net after subsidies, but at the end of the day, you're getting something as a result. Health insurance, that if, again, God forbid something terrible were to happen to you, um, you would have access to the care that you need, and financially you would be much more um, much more stable and, and less at risk for having anything catastrophic financially happen at the same time something maybe catastrophic health-wise is happening to you. Well, let me ask you another question. Uh, uh, an individual can't go onto your site and buy uh, individual insurance um, if they're not, like, employed with someone that's – can they? Uh, they actually can. So, so – John, we spent a lot of time talking about small businesses because that's a really unique aspect of the Affordable Care Act. And as I mentioned, it's sort of a little, very, you know, little-known creative health insurance solution for small businesses. So we, we try to get the word out about that. But we work with um, just plain old individuals, um, hundreds of thousands of them a year. In fact, we've enrolled just in the last uh, five years, we've enrolled Americans in more than 2 million insurance policies. And so... Regular individuals, uh, you know, regular consumers out there who need assistance in selecting the right health insurance plan and open enrollment for them is coming up soon, starts November 1st. Um, they can use health markets. Our service, again, to them is completely free. There's no reason to really do this on your own. You can come to healthmarkets.com. You can get quotes from those 180 carriers that I talked about and the tens of thousands of plans that we have. You can get a quote right there for free. Um, you can enroll online for free. Um, if you need assistance, you can call our 1-800 number um, right then and there, again, for free. Or you, as an individual, you may want to sit down in person um, and talk this over um, in one of our offices or maybe over your kitchen table, whatever your preference is, and one of our 3,000 local representatives will help you there. So there are plenty of different ways that health markets can help an individual consumer as well to try to navigate what is a pretty complex health insurance puzzle, but in the end come out with a solution for their personal life that saves them the most money, gets them the best coverage, and the best access to health care. Well, let me ask one more question, which came up the other night, uh, where else, at a cocktail party. But um, you discover you have cancer, and you don't have uh, health insurance. You've gone to the doctor. Before you go to the next step, you go and you, you and you don't have health care insurance. You go to you go to your site or, or you go to the agent and you buy health insurance, and they have mm-hmm. to take you because it's a even though you have a pre-existing condition. Have you seen any of that happening? Well, so we've been in the in the health insurance market for um, thirty plus years. So we've been there well before the Affordable Care Act and. I will say, first of all, that there are plenty of people before the Affordable Care Act that we would meet with, and they would have, you know, really an unfortunate, you know, circumstance. They would be a survivor of breast cancer or have some other health condition, um, you know, um, 
and they were not allowed to get coverage. It was a, these were people we unfortunately would have to tell, and we would say all of the health insurance carriers we work with, unfortunately none of them will, will provide you coverage. It was a terrible, terrible thing to have to sit and tell people. Now, you know, you're right. People with pre-existing conditions, um, the way the law works, are not allowed to be denied by health insurance companies, which for them is a big lifesaver. Now, the way the the way the the law was is implemented is in such a way that it discourages, as it should, people from waiting to have a health condition, waiting to have a health condition, and to then have them get coverage immediately thereafter. And the way that that is they dissuade people from doing that is they have the open enrollment periods. And this year's period starts November 1st. It ends January 31st, okay? And so that's the time period where you're allowed to enroll. So during that time period, you can enroll in a plan. But if um, you had a health condition, let's say you didn't enroll in a plan, and you had a health condition and it's April, unfortunately, you, you won't be able to enroll. Um, in an, an Affordable Care Act qualified, an ACA qualified plan. There may be some other plans that are not ACA um, qualified health plans that you may be able to enroll in, although it might be difficult, but generally you won't be able to get coverage. And so it encourages people to get coverage first before they have a health condition, be a participant in the market, and then if something bad happens to you, um, you know, you'll have protection. It's just like you wouldn't uh, generally the insurance market doesn't doesn't want to be structured in a way that you can allow the house to already be burning down before you get coverage. You really need to be in the in the system with homeowners insurance in that case, right? Paying into the pool um, such that for the people whose house gets on fire, there's funds to pay them. It's the same thing with health insurance here. So hopefully that that uh, commentary helps folks understand the situation, Don. But if I'm hearing you right, President Obama said, even if you have a pre-existing condition, you can enroll in your health care. But you're saying mm-hmm. it's not necessarily so, if I heard you correctly. So you can, but you have to do it during the open enrollment period, right? But you, you can't do, do it be- outside of that period. Correct. You can't. Uh, unless you have what's called a qualifying event, but there there are a limited um, list of circumstances that would allow you to enroll in a plan outside of the open enrollment period, let's say in March, April, May, June, July, et cetera. Um, But otherwise, you generally need to enroll between November 1st and January 31st. And by setting that sort of calendar window, it's it's designed to not permit people to simply wait until they have have a health event and then get coverage. If you have a health, if you have a pre-existing chronic long-term condition, you should have health insurance. But if you're healthy, you should also have health insurance, and not simply wait to become unhealthy and then buy the insurance. That's that's it's that group of people that the healthy who who want to stay out of the market potentially and wait until they become unhealthy. The structure of the an open enrollment period is designed to um, not permit that to occur, to even the healthy are, are supposed to get covered. The, the tax penalties are also another piece of the puzzle that is there to dissuade people, healthy people, from uh, waiting until they become unhealthy. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Uh, 
it, it also dispels a myth because uh, uh, I've heard stories, and that's how it came up, uh, that someone found out she had breast cancer and didn't have insurance, and she uh, somehow or other got insurance, uh, health insurance, to cover it. But after mm. the fact that she discovered it. Yeah, generally that's, unless there's some unique circumstances under the, the way the law is written, and, and I don't understand those particular, all the particulars of that person's circumstance, that, that wouldn't be permitted. Hey, it was a cocktail party, Mike. You know what happens at a cocktail party. Well, you could say anything, I guess, right? But, um, but no, I really, um, the best thing for anybody, healthy or not, is to have health insurance coverage. There's too many reasons not to, right? Um, for one, again, even you're healthy one day, unfortunately, like, things happen, you know? And I'm not talking about you just sort of break your leg during a basketball game kind of thing. The terrible things happen, right? And there, you need access to health care, and you need the financial backing to afford uh, anything, any medical and health um, health care needs that you may have. Um, in addition, again, tax penalties and tax penalties make it so expensive to not have health insurance. On top of it, it's just not it's just not worth it anymore. The way again, the way that the market and the law is structured. Well, Mike, always a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, it was great to be I here, learned Don. so much from you. I hope our audience well, does as well. This was a lot of fun. So I come back anytime. This was a really great conversation, Don. Well, we, I want you to come back during the open enrollment period so that we can talk further. Absolutely. Absolutely. Please. So we'd be willing to. Um, um, and, you know. Go ahead. Yeah, I just I more commend you, Don, for you know, uh, opening your audience to this topic against small business owners and out there are often unaware of the options they have to help them save money and get better coverage. So that's great. And individuals, as your questions articulated, are often confused about their health insurance options too. And this is just such a personally uh, affecting choice that you have. This is not, you know, like other purchases people make. This is about your health and financial well-being. So I personally commend you, Don, for getting the word out about all this topic. This is a big deal for folks. Well, thank you for coming, and we'll definitely come again uh, during the open enrollment period. Sure thing. Make a note, please. Sure thing, Don. Have a good night. You too. Thanks, Don. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can 
subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.